The last time we were in the book of Acts, we saw Paul had left the city of Corinth after being there with them for 18 months. It was the Lord's will that he remained there for that time. And as a result, the church of Corinth was planted and many people came to know the Lord Jesus. He then goes to Ephesus and is there for a few more, a few more days. And the people of Ephesus asked Paul to stay longer. And he said that he would return if the Lord willed. Let's ask God's blessing on our time this morning as we look at his word. Father, help us as we conclude chapter 18 today. May these, may these words, your words, God, root deep in our hearts to do the necessary work of sanctification in the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that may your words also help people come to know you as Savior. Lord, your word is powerful, and we ask you to be glorified in it now as you have given it to us. Help me to be faithful to this text. Help me to help your people know what you have said. In your name, amen. So Paul leaves Ephesus. We saw the last time we met together a couple weeks ago, or last time you've met together with me, or I met with you. And he goes to Caesarea, which is in Israel. Look at verse 22 of chapter 18. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. This verse concludes Paul's second missionary journey. We've been on this second missionary journey for quite some time. Let's bring up the map there to show you where Paul has been. He began in Antioch, which is over there in the right-hand side, middle of the screen there. And he goes all the way to Greece. And then, of course, Corinth, which is on the far left side. Ephesus there is in the red part, which is the province of Asia, of the Roman Empire. And then he leaves Ephesus and goes back to Caesarea, which is in Israel. And from there, he spends a few days, and he goes back to Antioch, which is where he started he started his first missionary journey there and his second missionary journey there. And he goes back to give a report of what they have done. Paul's been gone now for several years. This is the church in Antioch that commissioned Paul to go out as a missionary. First with Barnabas and then with Silas. And Silas left Paul somewhere along the way to go do something else that Paul had told him to go, as well as he picked up Timothy. This has been a long journey since Acts chapter 15. And many, many wonderful things have happened in that time. Many people have come to know Christ. Paul has suffered many persecutions as well. And so when he leaves Ephesus, he goes back to Caesarea and he goes to Antioch. That concludes his second missionary journey. Let's go to verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all disciples. Well, one verse later, we now begin the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. He can't stay down very long, can he? After he reports 
there at the church and he spends some time, he leaves again. So let's bring up another map now of the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Again, it begins in Antioch. And in one verse, we cover a lot of ground. He goes through Sicilia, he goes through Galatia, and he goes into Ephesus, which is in Asia, Asia Minor there, which is of the Roman Empire. He stops and talks to all the people along the way. He talked to them in Lystra and in Iconium and Derbe and um, strengthening them, checking up on them. This is why Paul wrote the letters to them that we have today, the Galatians and the Corinthians and the Philippians. Paul not only followed up with them with letters, which are inspired scripture, but also his physical presence was there to make sure the things were going well. And he went and he strengthened all the disciples. A disciple is a follower of the Lord Jesus. It's just not one of the 12 that Jesus had. It's anyone who follows the Lord as a disciple. You are a disciple. You are disciples, and disciples ought to be making other disciples. This is the life and mission of the Apostle Paul. And so he begins this third journey, and we skip a lot because Luke has already told us what's happened in these places and how they began, and he goes all the way through, and he lands in Ephesus, and we'll see that next week. Verse 24 transitions us from Paul. And in verse 24, look at that. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So we're going to transition here from Paul in the final four or five verses of chapter 18, and go now to a man named Apollos. And then we'll pick up Paul's journey again at the beginning of chapter 19 next week. Luke tells us that there was a Jew named Apollos. He was a native of Alexandria. This is important information because it tells us much of the background of this man, Apollos and his lineage, and what made him to be who he was. Alexandria is the famous port city in Egypt. It is on the northern coast of Africa. If you bring up that map again, you can't see Alexandria necessarily on this map, but all the way on the bottom you see Egypt. It's on the southern shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It is the city that was founded by Alexander the Great which is why it's named Alexandria. It's named after him. And it's a very important city for commerce and culture. It is famous also for having the most famous library in all of history. In the library of Alexandria contain scrolls of antiquity. Unfortunately, there was a massive fire at this library. And all those precious works and documents were lost. A great tragedy of history, no doubt. But Alexandria was the learning capital of this world. It's almost like saying it's the Oxford of our day. You know, Oxford, England is 
famous for having Oxford University. All the intellectuals live in Oxford, or you may say, or any other university town, you know, Harvard or Yale or Princeton, where there's a lot of educated people there. There's a huge emphasis on education and intelligence, and this library was a big part of that. Apollos is from Alexandria, no doubt visiting this library and educating himself in many, many things. Alexandria uh, produced many educated people. So that's one thing we need to know about Apollos. He's a very educated man. Luke tells us that he goes to Ephesus. Ephesus is in that Asia Minor uh, map that we showed you. It was where Paul went to near the end of his second missionary journey. And the people say, stay with us. Don't leave. And Paul says, I'll be back if the Lord wills. Well, something's going to happen here to Apollos in this city. Something significant. That's why Luke introduces us to him here. Ephesus is a very important city as well. It is the Roman capital of Asia. It is located today in what we know now is Turkey, the country of Turkey. Western Turkey is where Ephesus is. Ephesus is still there. You can see many of the ruins and the remains of that ancient city. At the time, it's the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. Very significant city, these Ephesians. And of course, we know the city of Ephesus mostly from Paul's letter to them. And that is, of course, the letter to the Ephesians. So, what do we know about Apollos? He's from Alexandria. Perhaps very intelligent. And he is, we're going to see that in a second. Well learned of that culture and society. He goes to Ephesus, another important city. Something else Luke tells us about him is that he's very eloquent. The word eloquent means to be well-spoken. Apollos was a fantastic speaker. He'd be a speaker that you'd listen to him and then you realize, where's the time going? He was fun to listen to. He was engaging. His voice was commanding and very easy to listen to. He's very eloquent, very well-spoken. Probably comes a lot of his education that he received in Alexandria He knows how to speak well. When he speaks, the people listen. He captivates people's attention because he's a great orator. But not only was he eloquent, not only could he speak well, he was very competent in the scriptures. What a great way to describe someone. What a wonderful way to be known by other people. Yeah, that guy, he's competent in the scriptures. The word competent means capable. It's actually the word mighty. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, may this describe all of us. May this describe all of us. You don't need to be a preacher or a pastor to be known as someone who is competent in the scriptures. If we are to be people of the book, as we have said often... That we must read the book. We must study the book. We must know the book. Apollos was one of these people. He grew up with that. As a Jew 
in Alexandria, Egypt. You could be known for many great things in your life. Some may be known as a great athlete. You may have great athletic abilities. Some may be known for their singing voice. Not me, that's for sure. Maybe you have a great memory, photographic memory. Maybe you're a great cook. And people always compliment your cooking skills. Perhaps you're a generous person. Or you yourself are a good speaker. Perhaps you're handy and you could fix anything. There's a lot of great things to be known for. But as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of it tops being mighty in the scriptures. May we live in such a way that when they are trying to figure out what to put on our tombstone, they do something like that. Here lies so-and-so. He was or she was competent, mighty in the scriptures. That's the first thing I see from Apollos here. This is something that Paul addresses with young Timothy. Timothy, of course, called to be a pastor. But you don't have to be a pastor to have this passion for God's word. All you need to do is to be a Christian. Who cares? That you just don't open up your Bible on Sunday morning when we're going through the book of Acts in here. That you're eating it throughout the week. That you're digesting it as your spiritual nourishment and your food. That you're reading other great works and books to help you grow in your faith. I would encourage you as well to listen to great preachers and pastors. There's podcasts and internet. All these things that happen uh, all over the internet. We have, ex- access, we have access to so much of it just at the touch of our fingers. But there's way to know the Bible. But it takes effort. It takes a discipline. It takes a commitment. And this is who Apollos was Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 2 Timothy 2.15, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If the church is not competent in the scriptures, if, if you all are not competent or mighty in the scriptures, How will you ever know if the preacher isn't? How will you know if something is said that is not in God's word, not in the context of what's being taught? This is a community effort here as we look at God's word and study it, holding each other accountable so that we would not be ashamed. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord, not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts 
It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scriptural models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. What a testimony. This is what we're doing with the student ministry. We actually have an app that we use with our students, and all the students have it downloaded. And we're reading the Bible together in this app. And each day there's questions to answer or a verse that stood out to them. And this is something we've utilized recently to help our students get into the word. Spurgeon continues. He says, I would quote John Bunyan. As an instance of what I mean, John Bunyan being the great author of Pilgrim's Progress, read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had it read till his very soul was saturated with scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his Pilgrim's Progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, and his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend you to his example, beloved. This is what Spurgeon said of Bunyan. And this is what Luke is saying of Apollos. He grew up competent, mighty in the scriptures. So he's a Jew from Alexandria. He's eloquent. He knows the scriptures inside and out. Well, someone had to take the time to teach him, right? And that's what Luke says in verse 25. Look at verse 25. He, speaking of Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. The word instructed there is the word that we get our word catechism. Now, I know that word might trigger some of you because of your Catholic upbringing. But catechism is not a Catholic doctrine or Catholic method. It's actually a way to instruct someone in the word of God by repetition and learning, excuse me, learning and memorization. And there are Baptist catechisms available as well. So he grew up as a Jew learning the things of God. This is what made him to be so competent. This is one of the reasons why I believe our Awana ministry is so important. I didn't grow up in Awana, but my wife did, Lori. Many of the verses she knows today comes from learning it in Awana and memorizing those Bible verses, those Children you saw just a couple weeks ago who were singing in our service. We are catechizing them through Awana, helping them, instructing them to know the word of the Lord. So important, beloved. So important to know this and to have it true in all of our hearts. In either case, Apollos was one who had studied God's word. He knew God's word. And he was able to speak it well. 
So, so far we know a lot about this guy. He was eloquent. He grew up in Alexandria. He was instructed. He was catechized in the way of the Lord as a Jew. And being fervent in spirit, perhaps why he was such a captivating speaker. Because it says here he was fervent in spirit. Now, this doesn't mean Holy Spirit. This is his own spirit. He was enthusiastic. He is exciting or on fire. And the word that's used here for fervent is the Greek word which means boiling. You know, when you boil a pot of water and it's just jumping and dancing, all the bubbles are going and it's going crazy in there. This describes the spirit of Apollos. He was an energetic person, a great charismatic personality. So, great speaker, exciting, enthusiastic, eloquent, knowing the things of God, mighty in the scriptures. And he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Okay, the first negative thing we read of Apollos. So far, so good, right? Right? Everything was great up to this point, but Apollos has a weakness. He was an accurate teacher. He wasn't a false teacher. Luke says he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Luke says this is surprising that he was such an accurate teacher because his faith was really incomplete. What is the baptism of John? Well, it's the baptism of John the Baptist. If you remember at the beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist comes and is baptizing people in the name of repentance, to repent of their sins and to await the Messiah that was to come. John the Baptist's baptism was not a Christian baptism. It was a baptism that anticipated the Messiah. And there were many people across this world that that's all they knew. They had not heard the news that the Messiah had come. They only knew that he was still to come. Now, it's a little confusing about Apollos because he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he knew Jesus. But he was never baptized. And this was surprising to Luke. He taught accurately, though he only had the baptism of John. In a sense, it was saying almost like he was still waiting on the Messiah, but he knew who Jesus was. It's a little confusing, and theologians are, differ on what that means. Was Apollos a Christian at this point? Or was he not a Christian? And I don't think the text is very clear for us to make a dogmatic statement on it. But we know he taught accurately. It's not that he had inaccurate information. He just had incomplete information. Incomplete information. What is Christian baptism? Christian baptism does not anticipate what the Messiah will do. Christian baptism celebrates what the Messiah has done, right? 
John the Baptist's baptism looked forward to. Christian baptism looks back to what Jesus has done. Christian baptism celebrates the death, the burial, and the resurrection. When someone gets baptized, they stand in this tank, which if you've never seen it before, it's underneath the choir. They stand there with me, and they are representing the death, the burial, and the resurrection that they, Jesus died and was buried, and they go underneath the water, and he rose again from the dead. Christian baptism tells the gospel. It proclaims what Jesus has done. And as a Baptist church, we believe in dunking underneath the water because that's what the word means, literally, to be immersed into the water. And it shows the gospel. He died, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. Christian baptism is also done in the name of the triune God. When I baptize someone underneath the command of the Lord Jesus, he has told us to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's much different than the baptism of John. It gives a complete picture to someone's faith and to the gospel. So, he doesn't know about Christian baptism, surprisingly. Someone so very well educated and someone who is very competent and mighty in the scriptures has not gotten the news necessarily about being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Luke isn't clear and well-respected theologians take either side. He's not a Christian. He is a Christian. We don't know. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. How about that? Okay. But there is some evidence that he doesn't know all that he needs to know. And this is what we see in verse 26. Look at verse 26. He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So he's in Ephesus. He goes to the synagogue there in Ephesus. And he begins to preach. Was he preaching? The scriptures. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Which is interesting, because he was preaching accurate about the things concerning Jesus, is what Luke says. But then Aquila and Priscilla, who, remember, were a married couple who were friends with the Apostle Paul. They were partners with Paul in Corinth, and then they go to Ephesus with Paul. They stay in Ephesus while Paul goes back to Caesarea and Antioch. They hear this guy. Who is this guy? And they hear him preach. And when he's done with his sermon... They take him aside, they take the preacher out for lunch, and they tell him all the ways in which he is wrong, which preachers love to have happen, I tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic, okay. But they explain to him the way of God more accurately. It's not that he wasn't accurate, but they, he wasn't more accurate. <laughs> Apollos, you're doing well. You've got most of the story. Here's the rest of it. And perhaps what he doesn't know yet is the Holy Spirit, Christian baptism, and how the gospel charges us to go forward. I'd love to hear what he is preaching. Because he has no doubt, he's not denying that Jesus is the Messiah. 
I don't think he has a complete picture of what that all means. So Aquila and Priscilla say, hey, brother, you're doing great. Let us help you fill in some of these blanks. Let us help you do this. Perhaps one of the things that they told him was about being baptized as a Christian since he hadn't been or the indwelling Holy Spirit. He was a brilliant man, but sometimes even the most brilliant men don't have a complete understanding of all the things they need to know. You know why? That's because they're still growing. No one ever arrives in this life. You know that, right? No one will ever arrive to the end of their knowledge of God's word and spiritual things. And thank God for Aquila and Priscilla who cared enough to say, hey, let us show you some things that you do not yet know. You've learned lots, Apollos. You had a great upbringing, but there's a nugget of truth that will transform your life and the lives of the people who hear you. We all have much to learn. And I bet if we took a poll of this, of this congregation, you would say that there is something you learned along the way that has totally transformed your whole Christian life. Am I right? Something that you had not known, but somebody cared enough to tell you. Maybe it was a preacher who was preaching God's word. Maybe it was a friend or a Sunday school teacher, whoever it was. Maybe it was mom and dad. Somebody cared enough to say, hey, what you just said is, is not necessarily 100% accurate. Let me help you fill in the blanks. For me, that was about 12-ish years ago. Um, when I discovered the doctrines of grace, God's sovereignty over salvation, that beautiful truth that the Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, recovered during the Dark Ages. By the way, I'm wearing my Martin Luther socks today. I don't know if you know that. If you're on Facebook, you would see that, but I won't show you now. I won't lift them up my legs. That would be uh, my pant legs. But you can see it says, here I stand, I can do no other. Anyway, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, they recovered these doctrines during these dark Middle Ages. The sovereignty of God in all of life. The necessity of expository preaching. Beginning of my ministry, I didn't preach expository sermons. I would do whatever was the coolest and hippest and most relevant. I would do all sorts of crazy things and make the Bible secondary. But thank God we have Aquila and Priscilla's in our life. I also understood a balance of the law and the gospel in the Christian life. Thank God we have people who can do that. Who was my Aquila and Priscilla? For me, it was Tom Askell pastor of Grace Baptist Church, and a man who we are going to Anaheim to vote for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He cared enough to set me straight about 12 years ago on some of these things and mentored me and took me aside and took me out to lunch and cared for me and made sure that I was right. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be the kind of pastor I am today here at Northwest Baptist Church. Lori and I got a chance last Sunday when I went to see my mother to Go to Grace Baptist and hear him preach, and what a blessing that was. Who is it that you see that isn't walking in the path of sound doctrine? Someone who is a believer but is missing the glories of a complete and sound faith. In either case, here's something else we see about Apollos. He's humble. Although he's being corrected 
by a married couple. He doesn't argue back. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't say, I'm right, you're wrong. He humbly submits himself to the truth. He humbly submits himself. And he doesn't oppose their correction and instruction. He sees that what they're saying is correct. And that he's missing a part of the story. And he welcomes it. Not only do we need to give correction to people who are not walking soundly in doctrine. But we also must be people who are willing to receive correction. And act in a way that is not prideful, but humble. Realizing that we may be wrong. I I know it's hard for most of you to admit. But let me just tell you, you might be wrong. Your wife might be right. Hey, now. (laughs) Apollos doesn't fight it back. He welcomes it. How do we know this? Look what he does in verse 27. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He receives correction, he learns, and he has the missing puzzle pieces that he didn't even know he was missing to finish the puzzle. Doesn't that bother you when you're doing a puzzle and you can't find the last piece? When I was a kid, I would always hide the last piece. So I would put the last one in. (laughs) Apollos, I'm sure, was so relieved and so blessed to know the truth. And he's gladly to admit that. I'm glad to admit that I was way wrong early in my ministry. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and caring people to set me straight, I would not be who I am today. Not that I'm anyone or don't have a long ways to go. But we must have a humble spirit to receive that correction. Something you may have believed all your life may not be necessarily true. And that's why the scriptures must be our authority and our guide to understand what is right and what's wrong. And if the scriptures say it, then we must obey it. What an interesting man he turns out to be. So he, he leaves, he wants, while he's in Ephesus, he gets, he's all excited. He's like a boiling pot, ready to go full of energy, and he says, I want to go to Achaia. Now, Achaia is Greece, southern Greece. It's where Corinth is at. And so the brothers, the, the church in Ephesus say, yeah, yeah, I think we, you should go there. You'd be a big help to those people. So they even write him a reference. Hey, this is Apollos. He's a good dude. Listen to him. He's going to help you a lot. And Apollos goes out to Achaia, and he goes to Corinth, And when he gets there, he greatly helps those who through grace had believed. How did they believe? Through grace. Through grace. It's always by grace. And how did he do it? He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Perhaps something he could not have done as well without a godly caring couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Who said, these are the missing puzzle pieces you need to finish your sermon. 
showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And he goes to there and he helps them. He was also a very popular individual. He stays in Corinth for a while. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul mentions Apollos numerous times. In fact, he had his own following in the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was a messed up church. Eventually, we'll do a series through 1 Corinthians, and you'll see just how messed up they were. But one of the things they did is they had these, like, these allegiances to certain people. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. See the impact he had? He had his own little following there. I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. Paul is scolding them here because instead of being one church united in Jesus Christ, they have their favorite preacher and say, well, I'm on team Paul, or I'm on team Apollos. And they say, what are you doing? You're one people. Paul didn't die for you. Apollos didn't die for you. Peter didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. You're his. But that just goes to show you the impact that he had when he got to Corinth. It wasn't that he was trying to get a following, but that people naturally followed him. Very charismatic guy, eloquent speaker, well-educated. You can see a lot of that being very natural today. And Paul recognizes the work of Apollos. By Paul's own admission, he's not a good teacher, speaking of himself. Paul said that he's not very eloquent. You think, wait, the Apostle Paul is not a good teacher? Well, in, in the sense of his charisma and his delivery and his ability to connect with people, Paul even said it, that it's all the power of God's word that does the work. But Paul knew how gifted Apollos was. He knew that he went in there and he made a difference for the kingdom. And so much so that Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. I planted. Remember, Paul went there on the second missionary journey. He planted the church. He planted the seeds of the gospel. Stayed there for 18 months. Then what does he say? Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. God gave the growth. Paul realizes that we need all sorts of people in ministry. Some people plant the seed. Other people water the seed. But ultimately, it's not Paul or Apollos that is making the kingdom grow. It is God. Here you see the influence of this man. This is why Luke pauses in chapter 18 to say, Oh yeah, since we're talking about Corinth, let me tell you about this guy who went there. A guy that you need to know about, this Apollos. But they had these like divisions and factions within them that divided him. Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Follow Christ So he turned out to be a very influential person for the kingdom. So what can we learn from this passage? Several things that I've already highlighted, but let's close by remembering them today. What can we learn from this passage? Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Can that be said of you? 
I'm not asking you if you have a seminary degree or you went to Bible college. I'm not asking any of that. I'm not talking about any degrees or time studying in institutions. Because that's not true of any of our apostles in this New Testament. None of them had master's degrees or doctorate degrees, did they? They just had people who cared enough to teach them and study themselves. Can you say or other people say that you're mighty in the scriptures? If not, start studying today. Read your Bible every day. Soak and immerse yourself into the word. Find solid books. And we have a library that Libby McGinnis and Laquita Parent and Carol Crossley and my mother-in-law have devoted lots of time to make happen. We have great solid books in there for you to read. There's a whole set of Puritan paperbacks that are doctrinally rich and wonderful. Some of my favorite dead men are in those collections. John Bunyan and John Owen and Thomas Watson, great men of old who, who taught, and we need to recover some of that stuff. Charles Spurgeon, go to the library, start checking things out. You could go on our website and actually look up all the books we have in there as well. Listen to podcasts and sound teaching. And If you need some recommendations, I'll be glad to do that. Start with John MacArthur. Download the Grace to You app on your phone. Find every way that you can to soak yourself in Scripture. Some of you have long commutes to work, 30, 40 minutes. You know what you should do in that time? Put on a podcast. Put on a sermon. Listen to the Bible audio. Fill yourself with the Bible. So important. I tell our students this every week. Get in that app. Read the passage. Let's talk about it together. That's my desire and passion for you. Number two, we saw that he was mighty in the scriptures because he was instructed in the ways of the Lord. This is because of the instruction he received as a child. How are we influencing our children, our grandchildren, today in the ways of the Lord? You today may say, I wish I had someone when I was a child pour into me. Then you know what? Stop the cycle. If you didn't have parents or grandparents that did that to you, do that to your children and your grandchildren. Pour into them. Bring them to Awana. Help them be instructed in the ways of the Lord so that they are mightier in the scriptures than you will ever dream to be. Are we humble? Do we have the spirit of humility? When we need to be corrected, when we receive correction, can we admit that we were wrong, that we may not understand everything? I may not like that doctrine. I don't like the way that sounds. Well, if that's what God's word says, then you must obey it. He wasn't prideful. He joyfully submitted himself to it. And lastly, he was a servant. With that background and that refinement and all the people pouring into him, Apollos was able to move forward. And serve the Lord faithfully. Some of you have had so much Bible poured into you. That there is no outlet for it to come out. You're like a sponge. You soak up all the Bible you can. But what happens to a sponge once it's full? It can no longer absorb any more 
information. In order for the sponge to be used again, what does it need to have done? It needs to be wrung out. It needs to be squeezed and all the water that it's holding. All the Bible that's going into you must come out. It must come out in obedience to God. It must come out in teaching other people and discipling others and serving the Lord. Some of you are so fat with the Bible that you look like you're unhealthy because you're not doing anything with it. What did Apollos do? As soon as he heard the correction from Aquila and Priscilla, he goes, hey, I need to get to Greece. Send me to Greece. I need to go and tell people over there. Hmm. And then once the sponge gets wrung out, it could absorb more. That's a way to create hunger. Bring it in, wring it out. Bring it in, wring it out. A sponge will eventually dry up when it's full of water, will it? What happens to a dry sponge? (laughs) It's a little stiff. Some of you are stiff. You need to be able to absorb and wring it out again. We can learn much from this man, Apollos. It's even said by many people, and of course this is something that we don't know for sure, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's no author given to us in our New Testament who wrote Hebrews. There's much debate about that. But a very likely possibility is that Apollos wrote Hebrews. Hebrews is one sermon. It's a beautiful sermon. Very eloquent in language. Who does that sound like? Apollos. Mighty in the scriptures as he goes back to the Old Testament and shows us how Jesus is better than everything. Apollos, tremendous man of the Lord, that the Lord used mightily. And I think we can learn much from him. But it's because he knew the Lord Jesus. He knew the gospel. Whether that's what Aquila and Priscilla taught him, whatever it was, his life was changed forever. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He absorbed and took your punishment, your guilt, and it was laid upon him so that God would not hold you guilty. Jesus paid it all. He paid all your sins on that cross so that God looks at you when you place your faith in him as righteous. The gospel is that Jesus died for you, but that he rose again from the dead. Because Jesus lives, we can have faith for today and tomorrow. We know that even if we die, we will not stay dead. That we who are in Christ will also have a resurrection that we will be with the Lord forever and that all things will be made new. I don't know where you all are today. I don't know your hearts. Perhaps you're like Apollos and maybe he wasn't a Christian at the time. Maybe you're not a Christian right now, but you know that you need to trust the Lord. You need to be saved. I implore you to do that. Open your heart. Trust Christ and believe the truth. Perhaps you're like Apollos and need to be corrected and something you're believing that's not necessarily right. Be humble to receive it when it comes.
Maybe you need to soak in more scripture. I think that's true of all of us. We need to soak in more scripture. I pray you will find ways to do that. And if you need help, you can come and talk to me. Let's pray. Father, help us as we close this service. Thank you for this wonderful example that Luke put into the book of Acts about Apollos. Thank you that we can know him and learn from him and his example. May it be said of all of us in this room that we're mighty in the scriptures. We're competent in the scriptures. But Lord, that's because someone has poured into us. We've taken the initiative. We disciplined ourselves to do so. And we know we can't get everything right all the time. We know we're going to make mistakes. We're going to not have a complete understanding of everything. And Lord, when we are wrong, help us to know we're wrong and to know what's right. And to send people into our lives that can guide us and direct us and to make a huge impact into our lives. Father, I pray for our children in this church. Pray for the children in our Awana program, for our volunteers who are pouring into them. They're going to be breaking for the summer soon and launching again in the fall. Thank you for the time that has been invested into these kids over the last nine months that they know God's word. They have learned God's word. I pray for them, Lord, to come to salvation if they haven't already. And that we would be a church that instructs our kids in the ways of the Lord. Not only in this building, but also in our homes. Give us parents who care, who love, who want to do that. Help us to break the cycles of generations who have not cared. May it stop with us. And may we love our children and the generations to come. May we see future Apollos come from among us. In your name, amen. Let's stand and sing. If I could help you in any way, please see me after the service. Call me during the week, whatever you'd like. I'm here. God bless you. I love you. Let's sing a hymn as we close today. All praise to him.